The horror began in June 1984. Los Angeles was under siege. Death waited in the dark at the hands of a man they called the Night Stalker. After a 14-month reign of terror, he was finally caught. It was only then that his true identity was discovered. His name, Richard Ramirez. Richard Ramirez's whole trip was to hide in a tree or hide behind a fence and watch his victims at nighttime and wait into the wee hours of the night. And then while he slept, creep in, you know, like a coward and, and kill him. The Night Stalker killed at least 13 times, 13 people who were awakened in the night to face death. At least 15 others survived his brutal attacks. I didn't particularly care for people. In a rare interview, Ramirez refused to discuss his own crimes, but had this to say about serial killers. A serial killer comes about by circumstances and like a, a recipe, poverty, drugs, child abuse. These things, you know, uh, contribute to a person, uh, to a person's frustration and anger. And, uh, and uh, at some point in life, he explodes. Perhaps for Richard Ramirez, that anger and frustration turned to rage, which he in turn took out on his victims. His killings were so sadistic and brutal that even experienced detectives were shocked. He took a, a woman in her 60s and stomped her to death with his foot, leaving an imprint of a shoe on the side of her face. Uh, from that to just executing somebody upon walking into a room after he entered a house. He strangled, he used a ligature, he used a tire iron on a, on a young girl, uh, beat her, left her for dead. Would your anger subside if you had to wipe up your mother's blood? I couldn't finish it. I had to leave my brother to finish that chore. Why on earth would you have hurt those people? Why did you kill those people? Uh, no comments. No comments. I, I cannot answer that at this time. What was Richard's motive? To kill. That's it? To kill. It's as simple as that. Richard Ramirez was raised in El Paso, Texas, the youngest of five children born to hardworking, strict parents. Eddie Milam was Richard's best friend back then and remembers when he began to change into a troublemaker. I did start seeing something going wrong with Richard Ramirez. I think what really messed him up was the acid. He would do a lot of acid. The stealing, you know, I noticed the stealing and then started as a peeping thumb and things like that. Ramirez's passion for burglary earned him the nicknames of Ricky the Thief and Fingers. But Eddie knew Ramirez had other serious problems when he was fired from a local hotel. He said he was fired, he was dismissed due to the cause that uh, he, uh, he had tried to molest them, two little kids that were going up, up the elevator. By 18, Ramirez was a high school dropout drifting around California. He stayed in Skid Row hotels, never seemed to work, but always had the money to buy cocaine. Friends say the Richard Ramirez they knew didn't date and wasn't the type to commit such heinous crimes. But convicted murderer Martin Kipp, who befriended Ramirez in prison, says he heard another side of the night. Richard told me he needed to associate gruesome violence with sex in order to be completely satisfied. He also told me that he had to violently fantasize about his victims before he could go away sexually gratified. They are desires whereas if, where if I didn't give in to them, I would be crushed by them. I believe in the, in the evil in human nature. This is a wicked, wicked world. 
and uh, in a wicked world, you, wicked people are born. I'm not going to blame society, my race, or people, or anything. Uh, it is up to the individual, like myself, uh, to to keep on knocking on, on whatever door they want to get into. Because the victims and the methods of killing were so diverse, many experts felt there was no one Night Stalker. Detectives Carrillo and Salerno disagreed and finally broke the case by matching shoe prints. The subsequent trial turned into one of America's most notorious courtroom dramas, punctuated by continual outbursts from Ramirez. In that trial, Ramirez's fascination with Satanism emerged. As far as Satan is concerned, I, I believe a you know, malevolent being. Uh, his description eludes me, but I, I have felt powers that are evil. After an eight-month trial, Ramirez was convicted of all 13 murders and given multiple death sentences. I don't care about myself, really. No, I don't care about what happens to me. I never did, really. So when a Netflix series is made about a serial killer and that is based on a true story, that is when things get terrifying. However, for us horror true crime fans, it's fascinating and we want to know all about it. It is said that many people are morbidly drawn to the violence of serial killers because they cannot understand it and they feel compelled to. Hello all you sexy and magnificent sons of bitches, this is the Horror Hound. And in this true crime bonus episode, I will be talking about Rich Ramirez, also dubbed as the Night Stalker. With all the attention given to serial killers these days by the media, it is a good time to scrutinize our inquisitive captivation with these predators in both factual and fictional accounts of them. On Netflix's Night Stalker, The Hunt for a Serial Killer, a true crime docuseries exploring the crimes of notorious murderer Richard Ramirez who terrorized California from 1984 to 1985. The series, which features first-person interviews with detectives, journalists, and victims, tells the harrowing story of Ramirez's killing spree and follows the police as they desperately try to hunt him down. This new true crime docuseries tells a story about how Richard Ramirez, one of America's most notorious serial killers, was hunted down and brought to justice in the 1980s. Told through first-person interviews with detectives, survivors, and news reporters, this four-part docuseries explores this iconic L.A. real-life horror story and the police's race against the clock to catch this horrific killer. In the spring and summer of 1985, at least 13 people were killed and others were raped in Southern California. The violence occurred mostly before dawn and man would break into a home. He would then maybe kill a man in sight, or he might rape a woman in the home, and he would also ransack the house looking for jewelry and money. Richard Ramirez was born Ricardo Levia Munoz Ramirez in 1960 in El Paso. He was the son of Mexican immigrants, his father working on a railway line and his mother in a boot factory. According to interviews and court testaments, Ramirez developed epilepsy as a boy and would spend nights in cemeteries. His cousin had before shown Ramirez photos of women he claimed to have raped and killed in Vietnam. According to Carlo, Mike taught a 12-year-old Ramirez how to kill with stealth and absolute certainty. 
And this is when, I guess, his cousin Philly shot his wife in the face during a domestic argument whilst Ramirez was present. He was found not guilty by reason of insanity and released from prison in 1977, at which point he continued to influence Ramirez, and that's when Ramirez began burglarizing homes around this time. He moved to Los Angeles at the age of 15, having dropped out of high school, and developed a cocaine addiction. Ramirez continued to burglarize homes in the area. When he was 25, he committed his first murder. As a teenager, Ramirez began experimenting with LSD and other hallucinogens, while he began to see Satan as a friend, an ally he could be himself with. And Carlo wrote, he took up a job at the local Holiday Inn where he would use his master key card to rob sleeping guests but he was fired after attempting to rape a hotel patron, a crime he was not prosecuted for after the victim refused to return to testify against the 15-year-old. Richard Ramirez moved from El Paso to California at age 22, where he began his first murder spree two years later. On June 28th, Ramirez murdered 79-year-old Jenny Vincal in her apartment after repeatedly stabbing her and then cutting her throat. Ramirez lay low until the following year, then the serial attacks began. Between March and August of 1985, Ramirez broke into homes across Los Angeles County, killing, raping, and mutilating at least 13 people. He used a variety of weapons, including guns, knives, and hammers. His victims ranges from the ages of 6 to 83. Some victims recounted Ramirez, forcing them to declare their love for Satan. However, it's possible that Ramirez committed more crimes that he wasn't prosecuted for. What made Ramirez a unique serial killer to the police is that his victims came from different neighborhoods, different racial backgrounds, and different socioeconomic levels, making him a difficult criminal to profile. Here we had a serial killer response for kidnapping children, girls, boys, ripping adult women, killing adult women, killing males, and according to L.A. Detective Gil Carrillo says in the series, they've never encountered anybody like that in criminal history. On August 24, 1985, Ramirez traveled to Mission Viejo, broke into the home of Bill Carnes and Inez Erickson, shot Carnes, raped Erickson, and then left. Erickson, however, was able to catch Ramirez leaving in an orange Toyota station wagon and gave a description of Ramirez and the vehicle to the police. Police soon found the car, lifted Ramirez's fingerprints, matching them to his criminal record, and then released an image of Ramirez to the public. He was identified while attempting to steal another car and was descended on by a mob who beat him with an iron. Is that like a clothes iron or a tire iron? <laughs> and they weren't very specific in the story. So he was soon after taken into custody. From the DNA they had managed to gather, police identified Ramirez, who had a long rap sheet due to his previous arrest for traffic and illegal drug violations. Police released Ramirez's mugshot from a December 1984 auto theft and he was captured on 31st August after he attempted several carjackings and was held down by a group of citizens until the police arrived. During the trial, Ramirez made satanic gestures. Eight witnesses testified, identifying him as their assailant and placing him at the, at the crime scenes. In September 1989, Ramirez was convicted of all charges, and in November, he was sentenced to die by gas chamber in California. Who exactly were Richard Ramirez's victims? Who fell to his hands during his time of his killing spree? 
His first murder of nine-year-old Mae Lone was not initially connected to his Night Stalker killing spree. April 1984, Mae Lone 9 was raped and stabbed in the hotel where Ramirez was living. June 1984, Jenny Vincal, 79, was stabbed during the burglar of her apartment. March 17, 1985, Dale Okazasi, 34, was shot dead during a burglary of her condominium. March 17, 1985, same day, Say Lin Yu, 30, was shot after being dragged from her car. Ten days later, on March 27, 1985, Vincent Cesara and his wife Maxine were both beaten and stabbed to death during a burglary. May 14, 1985, William Doy, 65, was shot to death during a burglary of his house. May 29, Jesus, 15 days later, Mabel Bell, 84, was shot to death during a burglary of her home. July 2nd, 1985, Mary Louise Cannon, 77, had a throat cut during a burglary of her home. Five days later, Joyce Lucille Nelson, 61, was beaten to death during a burglary of her home. July 20th, 1985, wow, not even two weeks later, Max Hong Needing, 68, and his wife Lila were both shot to death during a burglary of their home. July 20th, 1985, Chandarong Kovanath was shot to death during a burglary of his house, and his family assaulted during that time. August 8, 1985, Elias Abawa, 31, was shot and killed during a burglary. His trial began in 1988, and in 1989, Ramirez was convicted of all charges, including 13 counts of murder, 5 attempted murders, 11 sexual assaults, and 14 burglaries. On Friday, June 7, 2013, Ramirez died in California while awaiting execution on death row. The death was determined to be from natural causes. Cancer, of all things. Seems hardly justified to all of his victims. He was 53 years old. He has spent over two decades awaiting execution. When he sang Killer on the Loose, such as Rich Ramirez, he began immortalized in many films and throughout pop culture. His most popular moralization was American Horror Story, 1984. Now we're moving on to the docuseries review. My opinion of the short mini, 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 mini series you'll find on Netflix. After watching Night Stalker, The Hunt for a Serial Killer... It reframes the story of Richard Ramirez from the point of view of the people most impacted by his crimes, including the victims, reporters, and most of all, the cops who caught him. Recentering an awful story from the killer to his victims and heroes is definitely valuable, but the production here misses a bit more often than true crime fans would expect. Often feeling tabloid-esque and its craft and failing to dig into some often of the bigger issues here, like how law enforcement communicates or doesn't. Night Stalker is an interesting true crime series that still feels a little disappointing when compared to other major event series like it in the last few years. The miniseries starts with a montage that sets the tone for Los Angeles in the 1980s, painting it as one of the most liveliest and growing communities in the world. But noting that it also had a growing dark side and that wasn't getting the same kind of press. 
The star of the docuseries is Detective Gil Carrillo, who is basically an unexperienced cop when he led the investigation to the Night Stalker crimes with the legendary Frank Salerno, who provides an eloquent interview in the series. The best elements of the documentary refine both Carrillo and Salerno, two men who focused every element of their intellect and energy on this case, so much so that Carrillo's family had to go into hiding for their own safety. Damn. So these men couldn't sleep until Ramirez was caught, and how they dissected patterns, evidence, and ultimately got to the killer makes for riveting television. Dan, dan, dan. Anyway. There are some scenes that come up short, the shots of dripping blood and stabbing knives that lead to interview segments with survivors seem manipulative more than tone setting or illuminating. <sighs> yes, it's important to not soften the hideous of Ramirez's crimes and how we're reminded of it, and then the show absolutely details his depravity in a way we haven't really seen before. But it's another one of those series that's too overly reliant on stereotypical true crime evil Stock footage like shining eyes and ominous shots of windows and backyards. It doesn't add to the human stories in Night Stalker to frame them like nightmares seen on dozens of other shows on Investigation Discovery or Dateline NBC. And yet the real people at the center of Night Stalker push through the weakness of the production to make an impact. Survivors tell stories that will haunt your nightmares, believe it or not. So... Reporters speak remarkably about chasing the case, and there's a whole documentary to be made about how journalism impacts major serial killer investigations in terms of released information and what's held back in the name of justice. Whew, that was long drawn out, sorry. But it's Carrillo and Salerno, who are the beating heart of the series, one that, despite its flaws, successfully takes a story of evil from Los Angeles in the mid-1980s and reframes it in the story of an undeniably good man. In closing, I would like to say that justice was not really served at all. And then, having pleasurably terrified ourselves at the view, we console ourselves with the thought that justice ultimately prevailed and that the culprit died in jail from cancer. What does that do for his victims? I mean, how and why are these individuals in this world who pay respects towards a man who terrified the state of California. What is wrong with you people? Jesus, man, Manson had a lot of followers too. Why is it the sick fuckers who get a shit ton of fans? I don't get it. Are you that much in love with these motherfuckers? Oh, anyway, I'm sorry. In regards to the documentary, there was too much time that is spent fixated on the bland factual part of the investigation, like the telltale footprints or mirrors inadvertently left at the scenes of his crimes. While the interviews are dry and respectful enough, they're punctuated by queasy flashes of style, CGI recreations of blood-spattered knives and bodies, or a close-up of a kitchen knife plunging into a spurting wound. Honestly, you are better off reading about Ramirez and a news article that will definitely benefit you more. Thank you for listening. This is The Horror Hound. I appreciate your support and your subscriptions to my podcast. Please continue to subscribe, like, and listen on the following platforms. Anchor FM, Breaker Audio, CastBox, Google Podcast, Apple Podcast, Overcast, Pocket Cast, Radio Public, and Spotify. Choose your poison, wise gentlemen and ladies. And I bid you adieu.